out of all of my friends, every single one of them has some sort of issue, whether it's incontinence or you're leaking when you sneeze. I even have a friend of mine who's never had kids and, and has that problem. Or if it's painful sex. And the thing is, is that there's a solution for them. And most women out there aren't really getting the help that they need. This is Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast, and I am your host, Bet Lucas. I am a mom of six crazy kids, I work as a VP in a fast-paced industry, and I've been on a health journey. But what does living your big, bold life even mean? Living boldly is having the courage to finally listen and do what your heart has been trying to tell you all along. Maybe it's to take back your health, write the book, go for the job, run the race. And I'm here to help you listen to that voice and to remind you to be you boldly. The world needs you. Hello, welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life Podcast. I am your host, Bette Lucas. Today's guest has such an important topic to tackle. But really, the message that Emily brings today is you know your body and no one knows it better. And too often times when it comes to our health or interacting with medical professionals, we don't stand up for ourselves. We don't ask more questions. We don't maybe push back a little bit. And what I hope you come away with today is, oh, I should push back here. I should ask more questions. It's okay to maybe challenge a little bit because Emily so wisely shares about her pelvic floor experience and how no one really understood what was going on except her. And now she's hoping to share the message with others in the hopes that it prevents you from having to go through what she went through. But before we get started, I think there's this question out there for a lot of postpartum moms on what is normal? How should I be feeling? And let me tell you, no postpartum journey is the same. And that even goes for your individual postpartum journeys. After having six children, I can honestly tell you that each postpartum journey was different. And that's especially going to be true if you had a C-section or a vaginal birth. I mean, your postpartum healing and the steps you're taking towards your healing are so, so different. So be cautious comparing your journey with others because really at the end of the day, all of our journeys look different. But I'm going to tell you a few tips and a few things that I found through my postpartum journeys. Number one, in general, I have found that the first baby is your hardest postpartum journey. Now, again, to repeat myself, that is not always the case. But for most of you, your body has not been through childbirth before. Your body has not been through labor before. It has not experienced this. And just like any time, the first time is often the hardest. And not just mentally, but physically. And I can tell you from my experience that each labor did get easier in many ways. Now, there are those random circumstances where someone has a very emergency-type situation on their fourth child. Those one-offs and those instances do occur. This is not a blanket statement. 
But I will give you encouragement that if you had a really, really hard first labor, most of the time, those same moms come back to me and say, number two was way easier, almost night and day. Wow, number three was was so much easier. And my labor experience with my first, I always share this. I would say quite a few of my labors combined were easier than my first on its own. So just a word of encouragement. What is normal after childbirth? We often hear about breastfeeding and losing weight. I will tell you over and over again that my journey with breastfeeding has never led me to weight loss. And I'm thrilled if that has helped you. But for me and many others, that is not our story. In fact, breastfeeding in many ways helped us hold on to weight. And I see that as a beautiful thing. Our bodies felt like they needed to hold on to this weight to provide for this baby. Something is not wrong with you because you are holding on to weight during your breastfeeding time. It is very normal. What else is normal? It is normal for many of us to bleed and leak urine on our postpartum journey. I am not a physician. I want you to stay close with your physician during this time. If you are worried about your bleeding, if you're worried about your leaking, you need to be talking to them. However, most of us experience bleeding and leaking during those few weeks postpartum. And again, my longest period with those issues was after my first. It was so much shorter on my subsequent labor and deliveries. And I want to reiterate again that that is not always the case, but in general, your body does heal faster. Your body in many ways can bounce back faster. What else is normal? It is normal to be scared of sex. The reason I share this is it's not overly talked about. And yet, if you went through a traumatic childbirth, if you had tearing, if you had forceps or a vacuum, or you had a long, long labor and you pushed for a really long time, it is normal, ever so normal, to be scared of sex. It is also normal that it gets easier and you continue to heal. So please be open and honest with your partner on how you're feeling, that you're scared, that you're hesitant. If you're in pain, tell your physician, talk to them. Do they have any recommendations? Don't hold it in. Don't think you are alone. You are not. What are some other things that I want to share with you today? Visitors in postpartum. If it's your first baby or your or your subsequent babies and it is overwhelming for you to have a lot of visitors, tell them no. For me and my journey, I have found that it really is important that I limit the amount of people I see in a week during those first few weeks with my baby. Not because I don't want to see people. I think you guys all know how extroverted I am and how much I enjoy seeing others. But There is only so much capacity you have. You're going to be lacking sleep. You're going to be feeling like you're feeding a baby every minute of every day. You're going to be feeling like you don't even have time for a shower. And so, yes, seeing people can be a cup-filling moment. However, if you overdo it and overbook yourself, it will tip you over. So, again, is it normal to feel like that? Yes, I hope that maybe I prevent you from tipping yourself over and taking on too much. What else is normal? Is it normal to be hungry all of the time? It is. It is ever so normal. 
when I am breastfeeding, you guys, I am so extremely hungry, way hungrier than I am pregnant. I also develop a huge sweet tooth. And what I will tell you is that if there is something you are struggling with, like for me, I will share with you that it was a Reese's Pieces peanut butter cups. I love those dang things and I would buy them and I would put them in my freezer. The problem was, is I wanted to have like a few after every time I was breastfeeding. It was becoming hugely problematic. So you guys, I had to stop buying them. I just found that if they were here, I was going to eat them. And it's not saying that you can't indulge and that you can't have sweets, but I figured out on my journey that if the sweets were in the house, I was going to overconsume them. And yes, you are burning a lot of calories and energy with feeding that baby. But like anything, there's always an ability to overdo it. And I tended to overdo it. For those of you that don't know, I did have to stop early breastfeeding with my baby Vivian. It was not the journey that I intended to have or wanted to have with my sixth child. And she very likely may be my last baby. And so it's a tad bittersweet for me. And yet it was my journey. And I do get asked a lot about intermittent fasting, breastfeeding. What am I doing? How am I doing it? How am I losing weight in postpartum? How am I staying healthy? And I will tackle that topic on a subsequent episode. But so you all know, I am not currently breastfeeding. Vivian is on almost five months, and we are completely donor-reliant on donor breast milk. And again, I will share about that in a subsequent episode. But many of you asked me, so I wanted to share. The other thing that I want you to be aware of is depression. Postpartum depression is real, and many, I say many, struggle with it. Nothing is wrong with you for admitting you feel that way. Nothing is wrong with you for asking for help. And in fact, I implore you to do both. Postpartum depression can be so, so hard. You're already juggling a lot. You're likely moving. You're likely changing jobs or your husband is. You're in a very dynamic and shifting time in your life. It does get easier in many ways. But if you are feeling depressed, please get help and please talk to somebody. Here's a quick couple tips that I want to share with you that help me stay healthy as possible and heal. Take naps if you can. Get your sleep. Take a shower. You will feel so much better. Get out of the house with or without that baby. If your husband is there, go just drive a few minutes. Turn on the music. Just get out of that house. Go for a walk. Move. Be cautious of alcohol. I know you may have missed it during your time of being pregnant. However, alcohol is going to cause you to be hungrier, snack more, move less, and be more tired. And you're already pretty tired being a newborn mama. So just watch out for it. It's not that you can't have it, but just be cautious. Try to lead with protein in your meals. Try to stay away from too many snacky junk foods and feed your body what it truly deserves. Last but not least, this is an overwhelming time in your life. It is normal to feel like that. It is normal to feel like you're on a hamster wheel and that you can't get off and that someone else is turning that wheel so fast and you're just trying so hard to keep up. It does get easier. It does get better. It does get less foggy. Babies do sleep more. You will get more sleep and you'll learn. You'll learn so much. 
So just know I'm with you. I've been there. I did a lot of things wrong and imperfect, but it was uniquely my journey. And guess what? This is uniquely yours. And you know what's best for you. I don't know what's best for you. Sally on your mom's page on the Facebook doesn't know what's best for you. You know what's best. Listen to that voice. Listen to your heart. I hope today's episode encourages you on your postpartum journey. Your postpartum journey isn't going to be quote unquote normal. It's going to be unique and beautifully yours. Here's Emily. Hi, Emily. Welcome to Living Your Big Bold Life podcast. Hi, thank you so much for having me. So Emily is a fellow podcaster uh, for the people watching and listening today. And this is our first time trying video. And at least for me, I think Emily might be more of an expert. So I'm super excited to do my first podcast with a video component. I'm definitely not an expert. I literally just recorded my first video uh, podcast yesterday. So this is uh, new territory, I guess, for both of us. (laughs) Totally. Well, I'm super excited to try this today. And, you know, there's just so many topics that I think you and I could discuss between being moms, our career, our podcast. We both have podcasts discussing motherhood, or at least part of mine does. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about your background and who you are so that my listeners can get to know you better, Emily. Sure. So um, my name is Emily Carney, and I've been an attorney now for... Gosh, I think nine years now, or almost nine years, which is crazy uh, since I don't feel that old. But (laughs) so basically, I've had a a few different roles uh, as an attorney. I started off uh, working for a corporation, then I uh, went into litigation. And then once I became a mom, I decided to go back to the corporate world, be in-house counsel for a company again, and move to part-time. Although now I'm sort of going back to full-time again, since I have, I started my own firm, uh, last year as well. So that's wow. also been taking off. And that's so great. Good for yeah. you. Yeah. That's been really exciting to kind of chart my own path and be creative, as creative Mm -hmm. as you can be in the legal uh, sphere and also just help others and achieve their business goals or whatever goals that they have. And I'm a mom to two little ones. I have a three-year-old named Catherine. We call her Kate. And then I have a almost three-month-old named James. And so, yeah, a little (laughs) sleep-deprived. So if I forget some words or mispronounce things, it's because I'm a little sleep-deprived. (laughs) I'm so grateful that I have children to blame that on because I was like that before children. And now I just have children to say, you know, it's, I'm just tired. Okay. (laughs) Oh, well, that's so funny because, you know, you and I were pregnant with our youngest where we were so similar times because, you know, our Vivian is, is three months today. And so happy three month birthday. I know it's, (laughs) it's flown by and, you know, I joke Emily that she is like our baby, meaning my kids think that she is theirs just as much that she is my husband and I's it's pretty 
Pretty awesome. So, so you're a mom, you are, you have started your own firm. You have a podcast called the mother good podcast. Yes. Yeah. Uh, so I started organization, gosh, I'm trying to think what, I guess coming up on three years ago with a couple friends and uh, we called it mother good, just a play on words for motherhood. And our motto is that there's no way to be a perfect mom, but many ways to be a good one. And mostly started it based off of my postpartum journey, I had a really difficult postpartum recovery. And I was just looking for resources for moms that were more evidence-based and not so much emotional-based. Not that there's anything wrong with it. I would just, in my current, my situation postpartum was I just really needed some answers that were more evidence-based at that time. And a really good friend of mine, Lauren Michelle, uh, she's a med student. So she started it with me. And she was also really interested since she has a you know, background in medicine. She was also really interested in having more of an evidence-based resource for moms. And since we didn't really find that out there, then we just started Mother Good. And at first we were doing more Instagram-based and blog-based posts. But then we realized that Instagram, you know, they were always constantly changing the algorithms and we couldn't really keep up on that since we were so busy. It's not like we're full-time influencers. We couldn't really keep up with the Instagram algorithms and the blog posts. We felt like we couldn't really get that much in detail about certain subjects. Then eventually then almost two years ago, then we switched to podcasts because then we could interview an expert in the field or another mom who wants to share a story. uh, If she has a really unique story just as you know my postpartum journey was pretty isn't that common so it's a little bit more unique so just maybe if a mom wants to connect with another mom or hear her story of a unique situation that she's gone through but then in greater detail and then also something that you can just because podcasts you can just press play on your on your phone and then listen to it in the background as opposed to yes always being on your phone. You know, when you're reading blogs, you're always on your phone. And if you're trying to get off your phone, um, it's nice to have the podcast that you can listen to if you're making dinner, doing dishes, or, you know, just having in the background when you're, you're playing with your kids or something like that. Oh, I think that's great. I love to, I didn't know some of that progression that you had had. And I agree. Like I love listening to a podcast when I'm going on a walk or a run or like background music in the car. It just, That is such a nice medium to have. So today, Emily and I discussed kind of how, what are the topics we really wanted to hone in on? And Emily is such a resource on so many things. But as she kind of mentioned, she did have a really, you know, you did have a really difficult postpartum journey after having Kate, who's now three. And I would love to learn more about that. So I think we're going to start today by by Emily sharing a little bit about her postpartum journey and specifically regarding some of the challenges she had with her pelvic floor. And, you know, even though I know it's not super common, I think what your story has shown me actually is that it's also maybe a little bit more common than we think. It's just not overly talked about. Definitely. And there's not been a lot of discussion 
on things we can do to help if you're in the similar space that that you were in postpartum. So I'm super glad to learn more about it. And would you share with us your postpartum journey and some of the struggles you had with your pelvic floor? And Sure. Yeah. And thank you so much for also um, interviewing me about this because I'm really passionate, as you said, of talking about my story just in the hopes of just it, if even one mom out there can find some relief and help because of my story, then it's worth it to share it. So basically when I was pregnant with my first Kate, uh, you know, I had a normal pregnancy, super healthy. I worked out the entire time. I, I just followed every single thing that every blog and app and you know, doctor article recommendation said to do, you know, they said to work out, Mm -hmm. uh, eat healthy, all these things and do your Kegels. You know, I followed every single recommendation. And when it came to the, the birthing process, you know, I had a really long and excruciating labor. I had back labor from the get go. And that's something that I really wasn't anticipating. And so that the labor itself was extremely difficult. I almost had to have a C-section. Probably if I had a different doctor that I delivered with, I probably would have had a C-section. My doctor just Mm -hmm. let me go a couple hours longer than probably the average doctor would have, which I was grateful since my goal was to not have a C-section. So I'm grateful he allowed me that opportunity. Uh, But I only mentioned that just to stress the fact that it was extremely difficult and the baby almost did not make it out uh, without the C-section. And everything seemed like it was is normal after that, uh, after the delivery, except when I tried to get out of the hospital bed. Uh, and when I was walking around after delivering my baby at the hospital, I was in such excruciating pain, but what I didn't realize at the time, it wasn't the kind of pain that most women experience after childbirth. I mean, you know, there's always the crotch pain, or if you have a C-section, you know, there's going to be uh, incision yes. pain, those sorts of things. And so I, you know, I had no idea since I'd never had a baby before. I didn't know what kind of pain to expect. And so I thought that the pain that I was experiencing was normal pain. And so I was just trying to push through it and I, I could barely walk. And I also thought that that was normal. Uh, I just remember in the, a few days after giving birth to my daughter that I was struggling just walking around the house and other friends of mine who had delivered, I mean, they're like going to church a few days later, or they're like going on walks or meeting us places and just being super active just a few days after giving birth. And I was just struggling Mm -hmm. to, you know, get on and off the couch. I was struggling to just walk to the bathroom, (laughs) those sorts of things. Uh, and then, I I guess the turning point was about a month after I had delivered Kate, I went on a walk because I thought, okay, well, I've given myself a month. Every other mom I know, you know, she's walking and they say that it's good to walk Mm -hmm. after giving birth. You shouldn't just be sitting on the couch all the time and all these sorts of things. So I went on a walk, put Kate in the baby carrier. And then after going on a very mild, very short walk with my newborn, I was limping like the entire next day. And then I realized, okay, well, this doesn't seem right. You know, like this, this is something that doesn't seem like it's normal for most moms. So I, you know, I called my doctor, I went in for a four week checkup instead of six week checkup. And they said, oh, okay, well maybe you're still healing and maybe you just need a couple more weeks. And then I came back at my six week checkup and I, 
I was really disappointed at my six week checkup. I know, I think I've mentioned this before because basically they just checked my incision and then the, they're like, Oh, you know, your, your stitches healed well. And, uh, yeah, you're cleared for exercise and sex. And then that's it. I thought like all they said, it wasn't a doctor that I did see though. It, it was a PA. I don't know if that would have made a difference, oh. but I just remember sitting there and I was thinking, uh, wait, I still, I can't walk without limping. Um, does that mean I should still exercise? You know, I just, it was just a re- really confusing time because I thought that in, you know, in my head, I felt like they needed to like evaluate me walking after I have a baby. Cause I'm like, don't you want to see how I'm walking across the hallway? Because I'm like limping and have all these problems. Uh, mm-hmm. but then I didn't realize that at the time that that's really not the expertise of an OBGYN, you know, they're just all about the baby and the mom and whether or not basically like a life and death kind of thing. Like, are you going to die? Let's save yeah. your life. Like that's basically right. OB's what the, the kind of care that they provide. They want to make sure you and the baby are going to live, that you're going to be healthy in that kind of way. Like your blood pressure, your vitals, those sorts of things. If your vitals are okay, yes. You no, know, if your periods are okay, or you know, you're not, you know, whatever, your regulating of the spacing of your kids is okay, then they don't really care. Or that's mm-hmm. not their expertise, I guess. And so basically they just handed me a card. This is your first. So little did you know either. Like you're like, well, maybe this is just normal. Right. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. No, that that's exactly right. Like I had I had no idea. And so at my six week checkup, I really had to push with the the PA that I saw. I had to tell like explain to her. Is that I don't think like is it normal to be in pain here? Is it normal to limp? But like I was really pushing back on all these things. And I could tell she was really confused the way she's looking at me, like. Uh, I don't know, (laughs) which I don't blame her because again, like that's not really the role of an OBGYN office is they don't really do the, the orthopedic type things or even public floor things they are not actually really trained in public floor. So she just handed me a card and said, go, go make an appointment here at this place. And I had never heard about public floor physical therapy before. Uh, I had no idea what it was. It kind of was a little weird at first. I was like, wait, I, I, it had this weird name. It was like women's specialty or I don't know, something like that. I just thought, okay, this is really weird, but okay, I'll make an appointment. So I went, uh, had my first appointment and it wasn't really a good fit at that public floor physical therapy place, but I did get some answers that it was like a public floor issue that, that I was experiencing. And then I ended up finding a different public floor physical therapy piss and then got an evaluation there. And right away that they diagnosed me with what I had, which is uh, symphysis pubis dysfunction, also known as SPD. And then me, I also had sacroiliac joint dysfunction, which is another abbreviation for that is SIJ, excuse me. But for the SPD, uh, what I didn't realize at the time was that actually the majority of pregnant women experience SPD at some point during their pregnancy, but a lot of them are just dismissed as, oh, that's just normal for pregnancy, which it is normal because the the majority of women do have SPD. Mm -hmm. Most women have it when they're pregnant. In my situation, it was postpartum, which is a little, that's that's where my story gets a little bit different because for me, it was only postpartum. But for most women, they get this SPD when they're pregnant. And that's usually when you have pubic bone pain. And I I mean, a disclaimer, I'm not a doctor in the medical profession, but this is just based on my experience and what I've been told from different physical therapists. Uh, So the the SPD, it causes pubic bone pain or can cause lower back pain. It, It can have like a lot of referred pain too. So basically like any pain that you're having during pregnancy, even though it might be normal, 
as in most women have it, it doesn't mean that they're it doesn't mean that you shouldn't treat it or that there isn't a solution for it. You know, it's, it's funny when it comes to women's health that we often don't think that there should be a solution to things because that it, they're so common. Whereas in any other aspect of the medical field, there would be a solution for it right away. You know, it's kind of like, I guess an example I can think of is appendicitis, right. you know, it's like, Oh, it's just your appendix, you know, it's like, well, that doesn't mean you don't have surgery to get it out. You know, just because appendicitis is normal, <laughs> you don't just like leave it in there and then keel over and die. You know, you go get surgery so then you can recover. So it's the same thing with, with a lot of women's health issues, especially surrounding pregnancy. It's like, okay, yes, having pubic bone pain, having pain in these different areas, it is normal, but that doesn't mean that you just suffer in silence and that you don't treat it because physical therapists can actually help alleviate most, if not all of the pain that you're experiencing. You know, when you're pregnant, it, you know, you probably can't get all of the pain away because a lot of it is just because you're big and, and those sorts of things, but you can also alleviate a lot of pain. Um, when I was pregnant with my second, I ended up getting the SPD pain when I was pregnant since I already had that pre-existing condition. So uh, I was putting off physical therapy and because I thought, oh, well, I'm just so large, you know, it'll just go away when I'm when I deliver. But when I finally went to physical therapy, when I was pregnant, they helped me so much that I was able to be more physically active than I normally would have been able to be when I was pregnant because I went to physical therapy. And yes, it is really inconvenient because you have to get something to watch your kids or you have to take time off of work or you have to just make the drive. You, you have to be committed to going there and can be expensive. Luckily, uh, I found a place that is my insurance covers, but I know that most or if not all public floor physical therapists, they don't have insurance that covers it. So that, you know, it kind of, can get a little expensive, but the way that I always viewed it is that it's an investment in your health. And if a lot of times, if you don't address these issues, especially if they're lingering when you're postpartum, they're just going to continue for the rest of your life. So this isn't something that's, that could just go away after you have a baby or something. This is something that could potentially impact your quality of life for the rest of your life. And for me, you know, that was that fact alone was a big driving force of, okay, it's a, it's an investment that you have to make in your health. Just like you go to the doctor or just like you need surgery. You know, it's not like you're going to say, oh, you know, surgery is too expensive, <laughs> life-saving surgery. Like you have to have this surgery or whatever. But yeah, so I guess that's, that's my, my postpartum story and why I'm such a big advocate of pelvic floor health and in my situation and story that mine was more, I guess you could say orthopedic because it was more my pelvis and the treatment I got was more orthopedic in nature. And when I say that, I mean like the, the bone structure. So when I, when I go to physical therapy, it's more realigning my pelvis because it gets twisted kind of like, um, what a chiropractor might do, but different because public, uh, physical therapists are more like evidence-based when it comes to like realigning. So it's actually uh, a lot better of a realignment. Um, but I do know some people who get relief from going to a chiropractor as well. Hey friends, it's Bet. If you are enjoying today's podcast, I really hope you will join me every week for what I hope you find are inspiring interviews and bold content on topics like family and career and health. And can I also ask you a favor? Can you press that subscribe button and write a review if you like what you hear today? By doing those things, you are helping me get the word out. And I truly would be ever, ever so grateful. It also allows you to be the first to know when new content arrives. So please subscribe today. 
Now, let's get back to our guests. But in terms of pelvic floor health, that I think every single woman could really benefit from seeing a pelvic floor physical therapist uh, because I, I personally don't know a single woman who has not had some sort of pelvic floor injury from having children or even not having children. Like out of all of my friends, every single one of them has some sort of issue, whether it's incontinence or you're leaking when you sneeze. I even have a friend of mine who's never had kids and, and has that problem. Or if it's painful sex or basically there, there's so many things, just Google, you know, pelvic floor sim, uh, dysfunction symptoms, and you'll get a big list of different things that can be happening with your body. And the thing is, is that there's a solution for them. And most women out there aren't really getting the help that they need because they're not, either they don't know about it, or they just don't want to invest the time or effort into it. But I think it is so important because at least for me personally, I noticed that it's a big mood changer. And if, if you're not in pain, you know, like the, when, when I was in pain postpartum, it just contributes to feeling really sad all the time, or maybe even bordering on depression, those sorts of things. But then when you are pain-free or almost pain-free, I notice that I've just in, in such a better mood and so much happier. Yeah. I think all your points are so important. And I especially, I am hoping that moms, especially first-time moms hear your message because they have nothing to gauge it on, right? They don't know, is this normal? Is this abnormal? And I think you're exactly right that a lot of us women walk around with a lot of these concerns that you have expressed. And we just think, oh, it just is what it is. There's nothing Mm -hmm. we can do about it. We've just got to kind of deal. And an example that I have is when I'm in a workout class and there is a jumping time or a jump rope or something that's taking a lot of movements, like half of us bolt to the (laughs) restroom, you know? And it's, it's something that I think we all kind of avoid talking about, but it's so important. So I really appreciate what you said. And, you know, I always emphasize that there are things that you can delay taking care of in regards to your health, but you will save yourself money, time, so many things if you take care of them now. Because right. waiting mm-hmm. and waiting might seem like the right thing to do, right? but nine times out of 10, it isn't. And I think that's what makes so much sense. So when someone comes to you and says, oh, I, I think this is you know, a problem that I have. You said you recommend finding a pelvic floor specialist. What's other advice that you give them when they think they have this problem? Well, I I know that there's a lot of apps out there that have postpartum workouts or like a lot of programs that you can sign up for. Uh, Obviously, I'm not a doctor, so I can't give like a medical opinion on these, but I personally am not really a fan of a lot of those because women don't, these apps and programs don't know your baseline. They don't know whether or not you have a chronically tight pelvic floor or a chronically looser pelvic floor. And there's at least, I would say, at least from talking to physical therapists, I would say at least half of the women out there do have a chronically tight pelvic floor. That's something that I have. And those women shouldn't be doing Kegels or they shouldn't be doing a lot of those exercises that are tightening your pelvic floor. And a lot of those programs and workouts are doing that. You know, they're assuming that you're too 
loosey goosey down there, not, not that you're too tight, you know? And if you are too tight and your problems are due to the fact that you are too tight, you shouldn't, you shouldn't be doing Kegels. You shouldn't be doing those tightening exercises. You should be doing stretches, you know, of a really popular, uh, stretch that any mom can do. Uh, even if you are chronically loose or tight is the happy baby pose. I don't know if, if you're familiar with it. It's just basically, if you Google it, you'll see an image of it, but basically you lay on your back and you grab your ankles like babies do, you know, when they grab their feet and they're just playing around with their feet. And then, and then you relax everything down there. You just relax and you hold the position for at least 30 seconds. But if you can do it for a minute or two, or, you know, I've even had the recommendation to hold it for five minutes, that can work wonders. That can just loosen your pelvic floor. If you could just do that every day, that that's huge. And then another one is a deep squat you can do to relax your pelvic floor muscles. And that's when you, you can grab like a, a door handle or the, the side of a wall or something. And then I, I would recommend though, Googling exactly the instructions of like how to do our videos to do it because the positions on these are really key, mm-hmm. especially for the deep squat. So in the same thing, and when you're in the deep squat and then you just relax all of your muscles, like all of your pelvic floor muscles. So basically the opposite of a Kegel, you just want to relax everything. And then you hold it for like 30 seconds or something. So just doing basic stretches like that. I wish someone would have told me to just when you're pregnant, especially for the first time, go see a pelvic floor physical therapist just once and ask them to evaluate your pelvic floor and say, hey, am I chronically tight or am I chronically loose? Because in my instance, I found out too late that I was chronically tight. And I wonder if I would have done these relaxation stretches if I could have avoided a lot of the problems that I have. Like that's a big question that I always have that think if I did the happy baby pose every day and if I did a deep squat every day, if I focused on relaxing my pelvic floor muscles since I am chronically tight instead of working out, lifting weights and basically all these things that are making me tighter. I wonder if my labor and delivery would have been shorter and easier. I wonder if I would have even had any of these issues that I I have or had. Uh, And so with the second pregnancy, that is what I did instead of focusing. I mean, I did, I did exercise, but I, since I knew that I was chronically tight, I focused more on the stretches. So if I had to skip out on something for the day, it would have been like an exercise versus I tried to never skip a stretch even if if it's something that I just did right before bed, you know, because everyone has one or two minutes before you go to bed, you can just do the stretch and, uh, you know, you can meditate or say some prayers. Yeah. When you do it. That's what I usually do. And then my, my labor and delivery, my second time was so much easier, so much better. Even the recovery has been so much better. I know a lot of that probably is just because it's a second child, but I was just focusing more on the relaxation and, and those sorts of things. So I, I get, I guess, you know, once you go to, a physical therapist at least once so you know that your baseline is loose or tight, then you could probably do one of those apps or programs. But if you're just going blindly into those programs it's hard to have a one size fits all and to know what's what's going to help you or not. And and if, if you want to even take it one step further, you could even take a workout or program to a, a pelvic floor physical therapist and say, hey, can you tell me, Are just show them the exercises and say, hey, are these good for me? And that's something that I did as well. I just showed them, I said, are these good for my body? And sure enough, you know, there were a few that they said, don't do this one, don't do that one, and these are fine. 
but make sure you do this. Because uh, another one that is crazy to think about is I know a lot of women have the ab separation, the diastasis recti. Yes. Um, and so a lot of the, the exercises that you're doing in these apps, if you don't have the correct form while you're doing these exercises, I, I was told by a physical therapist that it could make your DR worse. And so that that's something because I was doing these exercises and then the physical therapist said, oh, well, for this particular exercise, make sure you are not ballooning your abdomen out. You know, if you're doing a crunch or something, you basically want to make sure that your back is flat. Uh, that's another way of thinking of it. So instead of like, you don't want to balloon out your abdomen when you're doing a crunch or something with your core, you want to try to pull it in, use your, it's called transverse abdominus muscles to kind of tighten it. And then you also want to, another way of thinking about it is keep a flat back when you're doing these exercises. Uh, because if you're not doing that and you have DR, I was told that it will make your DR worse which is crazy. So there could be, you know, these exercises that you're doing that are kind of one size fits all. If you're not making sure you're having the pr- proper form, or if you have DR and you're, you're doing it the wrong way, you could be making your problems worse, which is, is crazy to think about. So I, I know that the apps and, uh, and the programs out there are so enticing because they're so much cheaper and convenient than going in person. But again, like you could do the apps and programs as long as, you know, just, just have someone check them once, you know, just invest the time and money to yes. go yeah. ask them once. And then once they tell you what you can and can't do and, and make sure you're, you're doing it the right way, then, then go ahead and do the program. And so that's, that's kind of what I did too. Once I, once I had the opinion from the physical therapist of what's right for my body, then, then I did do the, the exercises in the app. But I think, you know, my non-medical background is kind of dangerous just to dive in postpartum and do these when you don't know what's going on with your body. And I think your story reminds us that we need to be an advocate for ourselves whenever it comes to our health, whenever it comes to uh, talking to medical professionals, because even if they have the best of intent, Mm -hmm. which they do, they often do, They can't feel what you feel. They can't see what you see. Mm -hmm. And I think that's what's so powerful about your story is that you did end up really advocating for yourself. And maybe by hearing your story, now some other moms will say, Oh, well, they didn't ask me about this, but I'm gonna I'm gonna tell them I'm really concerned. Right. You know, I'm I'm worried about this. Yes. So I love so much about your story because of that. That yeah, that's such a good point. And that that is so true. And I know how hard it is for women, especially, to do that because I think we as women Ugh. are used to putting ourselves last. We are used to putting others first. We're used to putting our children first. We're used to putting our husband first. We're used to putting our friends first. And and we always put ourselves last. Usually, I would say in general, we put ourselves and our health last. So it is hard to be assertive in that way, especially in the, the examination room and just really push for the answers. And and also just, you know, don't be afraid, I guess I would say, of not necessarily arguing with a healthcare provider. It might feel like you're arguing with them, but mm-hmm. just pushing back a little bit because again, just as you're saying, they're only in the examination room for what, like five minutes. Yes, they have they have your file, but you are you are yourself. You know your body the best. And so I've even had some instances where, you know, initially the doctor would make a recommendation and then I would say, well, don't, shouldn't I do this first or what about this? And then they're like, oh 
yeah, 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 you're right. You should, you know, and then, and then they changed their right recommendation. I mean, it was something like very small, uh, but, but sometimes I think they're not thinking of all the factors that are going on in your life the same way that you are. So they're just, they're just basing their opinion based on your file and based on what they see in that examination room. But yes. if you know something else that that maybe they they don't know, then then they might adjust that opinion. So it, it's it's so true what you're saying about being an, an advocate for yourself. Yes, because I will tell you that I've shared this before on the podcast, but that it kind of bummed me out that it took me having six kids in the labor and delivery room at times to get some, I guess, more confidence. There, would, each kid I felt more confident in what I would say or when I would question something. Right. And I think that's the goal of you and I is saying, hey, we want you as a mom to feel confident if this is your first child, if you have no children, whatever it may be, we want you to feel confident that you know your body. And well, this has been so helpful for me and I've learned so much. And kind of as we take this episode to a close, is there anything else you want to share regarding the pelvic floor? You've given us so much great advice, but is there anything else you want to do as we close? Uh, Well, I guess I can't really overemphasize enough the the fact that, you know, try to at least see a public floor physical therapist at least once in your life just to get evaluated. Uh, and then also I know on, on the Mother Good podcast that we that we have that I have interviewed several different public floor physical therapists. So I would oh, highly encourage great. to go check those out. Um, if you're interested in learning more, I think one of our most popular episodes is entitled Don't Do Your Kegels. And I interview a doctor of physical therapy and she give, guides the listeners through a lot of exercises. And so they're, they're, they're only like, I think, 10 minute episodes that, that Dr. Betsy gives. So I highly encourage to listen to those. And then just, you know, just take the time and spend a couple hours and go see a public floor physical therapist. I guess I I really can't overemphasize that that fact enough. (laughs) Oh, well, that's wonderful. And where do people find your podcast? Where and where can they find you on Instagram so that they make sure and connect with you if they want to learn more? Yeah, well, we're pretty much uh, on every single major podcast podcasting, uh, streaming, where, wherever you listen to podcasts. So we're on Apple uh, and then YouTube too. And then our uh, Instagram handle is Mother Good Co. if you're interested in checking us out there. But you can also find the podcast uh, through that too. Wonderful. Well, thank you for being here today, Emily. And I can't wait to have you back where we're going to talk more about small businesses and, and if you want to start a small business because that is Emily's career background and her profession. And so, Emily, I can't wait to have you back when we do that. And thanks for your time today. Thank you so much, Beth. Thank you so much for having me on. Thank you for listening today. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to write a review and push that subscribe button. I also hope you will come hang out with me on Instagram, Facebook, and my new website, betlucas.com. And remember, friends, be you boldly. The world needs you.